Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the chance to sit under your word today. I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would convict us, show us where we're wrong, that you would encourage us where we're doing what is right, and that, Father, by your work here, you may continue to grow and expand this church. And we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Okay, Uh, well, I want to start by asking you, uh, how do you view the world? How do you view the world? Uh, We often say uh, there are two types of people in the world. You know, that sort of way of dividing up the world. Uh, There are three types of people in the world. Uh, Those who can count and those who can't. Very good, very good, very good, nice. Uh, Well, the two people in the world, uh, I I think here's some classic ways that we can divide up the world. Uh, There are the stay-at-home kind of people who might find uh, craft to be a wonderful thing to do. And then there are the adventurous people who get out and they're not happy unless they're out in the paintball field or something like that, uh, as a number of our men were yesterday. So the, uh, the stay-at-home people and the adventurous people. Or maybe you think that the world is divided into dog people and cat people. Okay, now uh, the fact that we feel comfortable booing and <laughs> cheering does show us there is some sense in which the world does divide up this way a little bit, doesn't it? And I thought being in Oran Park, we also had to say uh, there are also Ford people, boo, and Holden people. Oh, (laughs) very good. Okay, well, as long as we're clearly divided up and I'm on the one side of that equation. So so we can often divide the world um, into these two types of people. We want to ask the question this morning, in Paul's view, Paul, the guy who wrote this letter to the church in Colossae, how did he see the world? Well, I think Paul, uh, whether he was a Holden fan or a cat person or an adventurous guy, I think Paul saw the world like this. People who were living an old life and people who were living a brand new life in Jesus. So there are actually two types of people in the world, old life people and new life people. In practice, what that meant for Paul was, if you've chosen to find a new life in Jesus, it can't just be that now you go to church, it must impact every part of your life. And so he writes uh, just before the passage uh, that I'm looking at today in in chapter 4, he writes about the relationship that the new life should have for wives, for husbands, for kids, for fathers for slaves and for masters. Now, I'm not sure if in your house there are slaves and masters necessarily. Uh, There may not even be wives and husbands necessarily in every home. There might not be kids in every home. But the idea is, if this new message about Jesus has found you, it should impact all your relationships. It should impact all your relationships. And what he looked out then, as he looked at the wider world around him, Paul probably saw the world a little bit like this. A world filled with people who are living the old life. A life where they're first and in charge. And a small group of people, a growing group of people, who are living new life for Jesus. A new and old divide. Well, what's the big picture when it comes to the book of Colossians? What's the big picture? I think there are four things that you need to know about the context, the time that Paul is writing. So the first thing to note is the hour, not the hour right now, 
but what Paul understood the time to be. So if you have a look with me in your Bibles, if you've got them, please open them up. I think it was page 1184, was it? Uh, We're in Colossians, uh, and I'm going to show you chapter 3 and verses 23 and following. Chapter 3 and verses 23 and following. Paul says this, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. What's Paul saying? He's saying in this world, the hour is just before God will judge the earth. There'll be some who are rewarded and some who are paid back for what they've done. Judgment is coming. So what hour are we in? Not 10.30 or whatever, but an hour before the day when Jesus returns to hold the world to account. So firstly, the hour, and I'd say we're in the same time as the people in Colossians were. What about Paul's personal struggle? Well, uh, Russell just told us a little bit of that uh, background. If you have a look at chapter 4 and verse 10, uh, you can see it's a letter here because Paul writes some greetings at the end. Have a look at verse 10. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. You see there, he says, my fellow prisoner. Can you see that? Paul is in jail probably in Rome. So his personal circumstances are probably a little different to ours today. Even if someone invited you to come along today, we're not in jail. What about the geographic one? Uh, Have a look with me uh, at uh, Colossians 4 and verses 15 to 16. Um, Where's Colossae? Uh, It's in modern Turkey, in modern Turkey. And we see a little reference here to some other cities. Have a look at verses 15 to 16. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. And you're like, brilliant. A whole lot of names I've never heard of somewhere in the world. It's not very exciting, is it? What's the point? Well, the point is there were other churches nearby to the church in Colossae. They were at Laodicea um, and uh, where was the other place? Yeah, Antonifa. So uh, the idea was they were close and I did a little bit of map work and uh, the church was about as far away, the churches were about as far away as Hoxton Park and Brinjelli from Oran Park right here. So they were pretty close. So when they'd read the letter, run the letter up the road, just go up Cowpasture Road and pass the letter on. It's kind of the idea. So they're close, close churches. Well, we've got churches around us, don't we? So let's say that's the same. What about the spiritual situation? Have a look at uh, chapter 4 and verses uh, uh, 5 to 7. He says this, Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. And then verse 7, Tychius will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant. Now, what am I saying here? Two things. 
There are people on the inside. Fellow brother, faithful servant. Okay? So there are people on the inside, just like us. And then there are people, he says, who are outsiders. See in verse 5, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. So the spiritual situation is there's friends and then there's people we are longing to see join us. So the spiritual situation, I would say, is exactly the same. We're the same here today. All righty, let's dive in. Let's dive in and see what Paul's got to say. Oh, just before I do that, I want to tell you about this guy here. Um, I'm sure you don't know who he is. His name's Dan McLaughlin. And uh, he was a professional photographer. Now, in my humble opinion, that sounds like a pretty good job. Dan heard a theory. The theory is that you can become a master at anything in 10,000 hours. A master at anything in 10,000 hours. So Dan was captured by this idea and he decided he would stop being a professional photographer and become a professional golfer. And so he gave up his job, hired a coach, bought some clubs and started to work through 10,000 hours of practice at golf. Just to put that in the picture for you, if you work 40 hours a week, you get through about, about 2,000 hours in a year. So it's about five years at 40 hours a week. That's pretty full on, isn't it? Particularly, I reckon, if you're hitting an annoying golf ball around. <laughs> so, so Dan started with a handicap of nine, and uh, he is now at a handicap of three and a bit, I think. And uh, he has another 5,000 hours to go. <laughs> Quite extraordinary. But what he's showing, at least, I don't know if he'll get there, his plan is actually that he'll be able to play in the pro tour. That's what his plan is. And uh, he won a tournament the other day, and uh, his handicap keeps on coming down. If you really want to get into this story, he writes a blog, and he's got statistics on every golf ball he's hit, and he's insane. But... the <laughs> The point here is Dan has chosen to be devoted to golf. Devoted to golf. Now, I'm a full-time minister, and my hobby is photography. And uh, I started photography probably about seven years ago. And I take photos. And although I'm nowhere near the 10,000 hours, I did add up the other day how many photographs I'd taken. And uh, since I got my camera and sort of more more or less wore the first one out and got my second one, I think I've taken about 90,000 photographs. Can I tell you, you get better. You get better. And so when I was in Wollongong, I used to get up at least once a week and go to the water and take a sunrise every week. And I'd do it throughout the whole year. Now, this uh, this was a sunrise I took, obviously, in Sydney. But you get better. You learn when you're devoted when you're devoted to something. So my question to you would be, what are you devoted to? What are you devoted to? You might say, I've put 10,000 hours into washing up in my lifetime. (laughs) I bet you do that really well. What, What are you devoted to? What gets the best of your energy, your focus, your effort? What are you devoted to? And the reason I ask you this question comes right here from the passage Paul challenges us very seriously. 
Have a look at chapter 4 and verse 2. He says this, Devote yourselves to prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Being watchful and thankful. Well, let's think about prayer for a second and what it would look like to be devoted, to be devoted to prayer. Well, the first thing I'd say about uh, being focused and faithful in, uh, in praying uh, is that prayer would need, if we were to say we're devoted to prayer, it would need to move from my little happy thought bubble that gets to the top maybe when I'm having a good day every now and again. You know, you're going along and uh, you get a string of green lights maybe. And you think, oh, isn't that good? Oh, thank you, God. I got a string of green lights. How wonderful. If we're to be devoted to prayer, there is no way that that can be enough, can it? It can't be enough to say I'm devoted to prayer when we only ever have our little occasional thoughts about God. Some of you might say to me, oh, you know, I pray occasionally, maybe once or twice a week. Do you think that sounds like we're devoted to prayer? I'll wait for your answer. Does that sound like you're devoted to prayer? No, okay, very good. It doesn't, does it? And not, and not just when we think, oh goodness, I really need some help now, so of course I'm going to pray. You know, I'm overwhelmed with something at work, and so we think, well, today I am definitely praying. Is that devoted to prayer? That just sounds like you're getting the bucket out and bailing the boat out when you're f- drowning, doesn't it? That doesn't sound like being devoted to prayer. So I'd say we need to change and we need to be more focused and faithful. I think uh, the second thing I want to say is he says uh, to be devoted to prayer, being watchful. In what way do we need to be watchful? Well, I think, first of all, it, it requires our waking mind. Okay, I'm not watchful when I'm like this. There's not very much watching coming on when my eyes are closed. Now, that doesn't mean you can't pray with your eyes closed. I'm, I'm just saying when you're not paying attention, you're hardly being focused. And so the first thing I'd say is, please don't pray when you're asleep. Well, well, what I mean by that is, I have heard this happen. People go, I'm gonna, I pray in bed just before I go to bed. And they start praying, fall asleep, and wake up in the morning and say, Amen. Now, that, that can't be devoted, can it? And it's certainly not being watchful. The other reason we need to be watchful is, Paul says elsewhere, that we have an enemy We have an enemy, Satan, who would like to attack us. And I think when our prayer life is low, generally our spiritual defences are low too. And what I mean by that is something far less spiritual than you think. I think we give in to temptation much more when we pray less. Does that sound right? I can see some quietly nodding heads. That sounds like my life, a lot like my life. So what I'd say to you is if we're to be watchful people, we need to be more prayerful people. Thirdly, he says in verse 2 here that we need to be thankful. We need to be thankful. Now, I don't know if you're a thankful person or not. I think it's one of the wonderful gifts in life to meet thankful people. Do do you know what I'm talking about? People go, oh, it was so wonderful that you could do that. That was great. Thank you. My kids aren't here and I don't normally talk about them, but... Just, just recently, my little boy's been going through a thankful stage. It's so wonderful. Mummy, thank you for dinner. It was really yummy tonight. We're blown away. Now, do we, 
Do we have to say, oh, look, unless, unless you're saying thankful every time, it's not really thankful. No, we're just delighting that he's actually chosen to be thankful for a little while. Now, I'm a parent. God is our heavenly father. Do you think our heavenly father will delight in the thankfulness of his children? Do you think he will? I'm 100% sure he will. So in your prayer life, don't just send up, God, here's my shopping list, if you can catch that. Here are all the things I need today. If you can take care of that, that'd be great. How about we take the time to say, God, you know what? You've already blessed me. Before you've answered my shopping list of things I want, I need to say thank you. I need to say thank you. And so I'd I'd ask you to make thankfulness part of your prayer life. Make thankfulness part of your prayer life. And so one of the things I was telling the guys at Cheslon the other day, on my phone app, which helps me pray, doesn't pray for me, by the way, it just has a little list on it. But on my phone app, one of the things it says is it says, what are you thankful for today? Be specific. And it's the be specific that's actually really helpful. Okay? And I'm sure when it gets to be time for praying, if you can think to yourself, I want to thank God specifically for one thing today, I promise you, you will be able to see much better the blessings of God around you. The other thing that we do here in terms of being faithful in prayer is we have a little card. A little card that looks like this. If you don't have one of these already, they'll be on the back table. Our little card helps us to pray for people who currently don't know Jesus. And so we pray for a family member, a friend, a next-door neighbour, and someone we're yet to meet. And we write their names here. And the idea is that we're praying in a focused and specific way for people to come to know and love Jesus. And if you don't have one of those cards, please grab one and get into it. I want this sermon to be very practical, so I'm going to say something uh, practical for you on this topic. Hopefully those things have been helpful. I want you to find a way to set an alarm for prayer. Set an alarm for prayer. Now, I don't care if it has to be a big wind-up clock on the side of your bed. I don't mind if it's on your smartphone. I don't mind if it's just while I'm driving home in my car, I will remember every day to pray. Whatever it is, put a marker in your life that will remind you so you can be devoted to prayer and not just occasionally pray. Does that make sense? Do that and you will move forward in this area of prayer. Paul continues at verse 3. Pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that God may open a door for our message. Now it's really interesting. Do you remember what Paul's personal circumstances were? What, where was he when he was writing the letter? He was in jail. Now I'm telling you if I'm in jail... Please, Lord, don't let me get in jail soon. But if I'm in jail, I'm writing a letter to you to say, pray for the door to open of the jail so I can get out. Are you with me? And that actually happens in other parts of the Bible, doesn't it? We see that Paul gets released. But he doesn't ask them to pray for an open door in the jail. Have a look with me at what he opens, what he says to have open. Pray for us too that God may open a door for our message. Can you see that? Actually, what Paul wants to see happen is freedom for the work of the word. Freedom for the work. In other words, help the good news of Jesus to go out. 
Pray for that. Pray for the way to be prepared for the good news to go out. Now, I find that really challenging because what Paul's saying here is, it's not about me. Well, Paul wasn't concerned about me. But, but, but he was modelling it wasn't about him. It was actually about God's agenda in the world. Pray for the good news to go out. I find that really challenging. Because when I'm praying, there's some things that really need to happen for the most important person in the world. No, no. But do you know what I mean? Help me, God, now, today. And what Paul is modelling for us here is, actually, God, your agenda before my agenda. That's really radical. And so what I want us to do is, I want you to try to pray for the word before me. And what I mean by the word is, pray that God's, God's kingdom will advance. God's agenda will go forward first before mine. Isn't that what's in the Lord's Prayer? Anyone remember the Lord's Prayer? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Now, now, do you notice, we pray, I'll stop you there because you might not remember the rest of it. We pray your kingdom come before we pray, give us today our daily bread. Is that right? And we say, oh, we don't always have to pray the Lord's Prayer. It's just a model for us. Have you heard this? You don't have to pray the Lord's Prayer every day. It's just a model for us. And all I'd say is, we don't model that very well, do we? We've lost that priority. So again, in my prayer app, it says, pray for the good news to go forward somewhere in the world. And so I sit there and I think, what's the first country that pops into my head? It happens that I've got a friend who's in Fiji at the moment, working with CMS. And I pray for my friend in Fiji that the good news of Jesus will go forward in that country. And then they go, all right, God, now I've got some stuff to talk to you about as well. It's not don't pray about your personal stuff. It's pray God's kingdom first. Sound good? All right, try that one at home. Well, what was the good news? What was this word that Paul was proclaiming? Have a look with me there. Uh, Pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Ooh, mystery. Sounds good, doesn't it? Everybody loves a good mystery. What is the mystery of Christ. Maybe it's another opportunity for Dan Brown to write a book. It's not that at all. There's a mystery, but it's not too mysterious now. The mystery is first and foremost that Jesus is the promised one. And you think, duh, of course he is. Do you know why you think that? Because the mystery's been made known to you. You didn't even know it was mysterious. You just always knew that Jesus was the promised one. But if you're a Jew and you had the whole Old Testament and no New Testament, I can assure you, you would have been scratching your head going, I don't know how God's going to make sense of all this. So the mystery that's been made known is Jesus is the promised one. He's the king. He's the suffering servant and the Messiah. He's the son of David and the son of man. All those sort of confusing things. He's all those things in together. That's the mystery. There's a second part to the mystery. And uh, the best way I can explain this is the way I've done it before. Uh, It won't work quite as well with the World Cup coming up. Do you know there's a soccer World Cup's coming up? Some people are shaking their heads. There's a soccer World Cup coming up. I'm in a lot of trouble. I need you to know, ladies and gentlemen. The Tour de France is coming up. The World Cup is coming up. I am not going to sleep very much at all. Anyway, 
Uh, when it comes to the World Cup, uh, it doesn't work as well because, see, SBS is actually interested in other countries. When we come to the Olympics, it works well, and Channel 9 runs the Olympics. When the Olympics are on, you know that there are only two teams in the Olympics. You've heard me say this before? The two teams are Australia and the second team is everyone else. You with me? Two teams only. Now, that's the way the Jews used to look at the world. There's the Jews, the most important people. They're like Australia. And then there's everybody else. And the name for everyone else is the Gentiles. Okay? And it's like they viewed the world as having God's favour and focus on only the Jews. The second part of the mystery is God has widened up the spotlight so that everyone is included. Everyone is included, even those Gentiles. So the second part of the mystery is there's a fresh start for all, Jews and Gentiles. Everybody gets to have Jesus as their king. Everybody can live with God as their king. That's the mystery. And now you know it, which is great. I think the challenge for us is a little bit like the challenge for the Jews. The challenge for the Jews was to believe, God, you can't be serious. Those dirty Gentiles can't come in, can they? We're the special ones. I think the challenge for us is thinking, is everybody welcome at church with us? Are you with me? Is everyone welcome at church with us? Will we welcome everyone in here? Or when they turn up, will we think, I'm not 100% sure they're like us. The challenge for us is to take God's view and say everyone is welcome here. Everyone is welcome here. All right, Uh, Paul goes on and says in verse uh, 4, Pray that I may proclaim this mystery clearly as I should. Uh, In this picture up here, uh, who's the most important person in the band, do you think? It's the drummer, isn't it? Uh, The bass player? (laughs) Thank you, Luke. Uh, We can see who's most important, can't we? Paul says, pray that I may proclaim this mystery clearly as I should. I think what he's saying is, sometimes we have such wonderful friendships. We're so committed to them, we're so caring, that we don't want to risk messing it up. Because if I say something not quite right about Jesus, maybe I'll lose my friendship. And since I'm the most important person, I won't risk it. I think with prayer, as we connect and care and communicate and lead people to commit, we will seek to make sure that the most important person is actually Jesus and not me. We're going to seek to make Jesus famous and not ourselves. Not be concerned for our own reputation first, but for his honour and to have him lifted high. He goes on in verse 5. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Do you notice it doesn't say, be a complete religious nut job and beat people up with a Bible? Did you notice it didn't say that? Is anyone relieved about that? That is good, isn't it? You won't hear us tell you to do that here. That's that's not what we want you to do. It says be wise in the way you act towards outsiders and make the most of every opportunity. I think it looks like this. Squeeze the juice out of every opportunity you have. It does not mean that every time you go to the cash register at 
the petrol, petrol station, unless they're repenting in sackcloth and ashes at the end, you haven't made the most of that opportunity. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that. But, for instance, when I go and stand at a cash register, I like to talk to the people who are there. Does anyone else do this? Or are you just kind of texting on your phone and looking at trashy magazines and trying to work out whether you buy the extra with five different flavours in it or three or something? Brothers and sisters, there is an opportunity there. It's not a huge opportunity, but it's an opportunity to relate. Have you heard of this? Relating? With people who are in front of us, not just on our phones? Yeah, you've heard of that. I would say, make the most of the opportunity is actually having a chat. And so I would tell you, I know I'm weird. Okay, you think I'm weird already, so that's good. We're fine. I'm weird. But I can tell you, I have been to the dentist recently. And I've been to, uh, to the optometrist. And I went shopping the other day and stood in the checkout counter. And in every opportunity, I've been able to say something about Jesus. I really wasn't trying. Now, I've got an advantage over you because when people say, oh, how are you doing? I'm like, yeah, very well, thank you. And they go, yeah, and I, and I, and they go well, what do you do? And I get to say, I'm pastor of a church. It's meeting in Orham Park. And they go, really? I didn't know there was a church there. I said, yeah, there is. You should come along. It's great. Now, that, that's... But what we do instead, what we do instead is we say, how was your weekend? You heard me say this before? Yes, some of you are nodding, aren't you? You've heard me say this before. Because if I say to Ian, Ian, how was your weekend? He'll tell me. And he, had, he got shot up in paintball the other day and he went to look at some cars and he's here. And then he'll say to me, what's he got to say to me? How was your weekend? Yeah, he's got to say that. How was your weekend? And when he says that, I'm going to say, my weekend was brilliant. I shot up Ian in paintball. No, <laughs> I don't think I did, Ian. He was on my side. Um, I did some stuff and I went to church. Now, it's not about being Bible bashy or anything. You're just telling people what you do. And it starts by asking them, what did they get up to on the weekend? You with me? All right. Here's our plan. Have you seen this before? Oh, this looks remarkably like something over there, doesn't it? So here's our plan. We say to people, connect. You actually have to say hello. Connect. Care. Ask them how their weekend was. Be interested in them. As the opportunity arises, communicate. Speak clearly about Jesus. And as they come to understand, lead them to commit to him as king. But it doesn't all have to happen on day one. Are you with me? Great. Make the most of every opportunity. It's given me patience and godly impatience. What I mean is, Every opportunity doesn't need to be, are you ready to repent? doesn't have to be like that. So I'm much more patient. But if I see people are getting it, man, I want to go, do you know today is a great day to get saved? Patience and godly impatience. All right, Uh, verse 6. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Now, I think someone pointed out to me after I used this last time, this is probably sugar, not salt. Now, I don't know if it is or it isn't. If someone can tell me later, that would be great. But the idea is, let your conversation always be full of salt, full of grace. What does it mean for my conversation to be full of grace? Well, do you know what? Grace means I didn't deserve to be saved. 
Grace means God isn't lucky to have me on his team. Grace means God moved first and saved me. And if that's true, let your conversation be full of grace means when you find grace again, you find magic word, humility. Humility. Because the person who recognises they had nothing to offer God will not go beating up other people, not go being moralistic, not go being impatient. They'll be humble. Let your conversation be full of grace, seasoned with salt. Secondly, it says so that you may know how to answer everyone. That means you have to prepare. doesn't mean you have to know the answers to every question, but it'd be good to know that you've prepared. Here's something practical to do about that. Write this down. (laughs) Don't. Remember it. Christianity.net.au has a brilliant set of answers to questions that Christians get asked a lot. If you haven't been there before and someone's asked you a sticky question, check it out. It's pretty good. And if at the end of the day you've got someone who, who asks you lots and lots of questions, can I say this in all honesty? Tell them, I'd love to have lunch with you. Can I invite my pastor to come along and have lunch with you? I tell you, I will travel anywhere in Sydney to meet anyone you want. Very good. We have a common context with Paul and the church in Colossae. The hour Jesus will return at some point soon. Geographic, we have churches around us just like they had churches around them. The spiritual, there are outsiders and insiders right here. It's very similar. So, what is our context specifically asking us to do? Well, I took this photo during the week. Uh, This is our hill. This is the church underway. This is very exciting if you don't know anything about this. In Oran Park, a brand new church building is going to be built over the next nine to 12 months. That is happening, well, it was happening yesterday. Very exciting. So how should we live? As a church, how should we live? What should we be like with that sort of opportunity in front of us? Well, we have a a brilliant vision. I love it. We long to see new life in Jesus come to every home in Oran Park and the growing southwest for their salvation, for the good of this community and for the glory of God. I'm devoted to that. I'm excited about that. I'm longing to see that happen. What does that mean for us in practice? Well, I want to ask, what would this church look like if we were a church that was devoted to prayer? What would it look like if we were a church that was devoted to prayer? That every day, faithfully, you and I were praying. Praying thanks to God, praying watchfulness for our spiritual well-being and praying in thankfulness for the world. What if we were being faithful and devoted in prayer? What would this church look like if we prayed for the advancement of the word before us? How would it be different? What would it look like if you and I cared for God's big agenda in the world to see many saved? More than just my things. Would it look the same? What would it look like if you and I believed that this church will be filled up with people who aren't exactly the same as us? What would our welcoming look like? What would this room look like if God filled it up with people who weren't exactly the same as us. 
I love that it's already underway. Can I say that? I love that it's already underway. What would it look like if we were people who put Jesus first? I'm here to make Jesus known, not myself known. That's a, that's a huge change, isn't it? My agenda first. No, no, no. God's agenda first. What would it look like if we made the most of every single opportunity? Not made a mess of every opportunity. Made the most of every opportunity. If we engaged relationally. If we connected, oh, if we connected and cared and communicated and led people to commit as was right for the moment. And lastly, what would it look like if we were a church absolutely soaked in grace, humble, thankful, overflowing with joy? There's a world filled with people who are living an old life and we would love for them to find new life with us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you forgive us for our lack of devotion to prayer? Would you refresh us in what it looks like to do this well? Father, I pray it might be a joy and encouragement to us. I pray you make us bold. I pray you make us humble. I pray, Father, that you fill this building up and the one that's going to come on the hill with thousands and thousands of people, maybe hundreds and hundreds of people, lots and lots of people who currently don't know you, who are living an old life, that they might find new life in Jesus and it might come to every home. We pray for Jesus' sake. Amen.